The Bible clearly teaches that those who do not trust in Christ are separated from God. The question is, how long and what is hell like for those uh, who go there? Welcome to a new season of Consider It, where we consider questions regarding life, theology, and the church. Consider it as a ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Do you have questions regarding life theology in the church? If so, text the word redemption and your question to 830-299-7505 and we will consider your question. To learn more about redemption, you can visit redemption.bible. I'm Michael Hawkins. And I'm Blair Cushman. Let's consider it. Welcome back to Consider It, where we have another question. Let's take it. When it comes to hell and punishment for the wicked, is the punishment eternal? Is it restorative, meaning eventually all will get to heaven? Or is it about the annihilation of the soul? Okay, a question on hell today. And really a good question here on the nature of of hell what is it like you know this is one of those questions that uh i i I don't know maybe it exists out there in like literature because we have all those people that have gone to heaven and wrote come back you know and wrote books or at least supposedly you know kids and others have gone to heaven and come back but has anyone ever gone to hell and come back i think there's i remember one i can't remember exactly what it is but it's like 23 minutes in hell or something like that it seems like a long time. Yeah, they got out quick or something. I don't know. But, but yeah, that'd be like, you think being in a burning building for 23 minutes and to get out, like... Yeah. Um, so. Well, thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, we don't look to accounts like that or supposed accounts of heaven or hell to get our information on uh, what, uh, what heaven or hell is like. Where do we go, Michael, for the answers? What is our authority? We go to the word of... God. That's right. That was the like a softball Bible. Right there. That's right. Hey, that's one I can actually answer. Get a home run. Sunday school answer <laughs> right there. We go to the scriptures to teach us about these things. And this is that's this actually, um, you know, we joke about that, but but I think we need to emphasize its importance as we begin a question like this. Yeah. You know, every week, every question, this is our authority. We come back to the Bible. This is our source of truth. Here is God's word to us that we can trust. It's reliable. It's sufficient. And so we want to come to God's word each time to answer our questions like these and not necessarily turning just to personal experience. That's not the authority, even though, you know, we kind of go in, in anything, you know, it's like, well, I felt made me feel sad, so it must be wrong or something like that, yeah. is we have to be careful of just making our experiences our authority or some other book that somebody wrote as the authority, or even just like philosophy or human reasoning as the authority. And sometimes, especially when it comes to a question on hell, that seems to uh, be the predominant voice in the discussion on these things of, you know, philosophical thought or a certain theologian or a certain person, you know, developed this theory and, or even a system of theology and and well-meaning Christians and all that. But we have to, we have to be like, well, time out. Let's come back to the word of God and make sure that whatever we're saying is anchored there in the word of God as we talk about these things. Yeah. Especially even as we look at just, 
the media around mm-hmm. us, um, the movies, the the shows, right? Um, you know, it portrays hell as like this party. You know, yeah. it's like oh, yeah, like we're gonna go and hang out with our buddies and you know have a big right party in hell, a wild or, debauched uh, party. That's right. Yeah, and uh, and and that's that's also <laughs> very interesting because that is also what has influenced uh, not just our view of hell, but also of heaven is what is portrayed in media through yeah. art. And, you know, we think of it now through TV and movies and all those things. Like now there's this new TV show coming out about, uh, you know, this woman uh, uh, had sex with Satan and now had this daughter. And it's this like kids cartoon that's out here. Like what in the world is our, is it come to? And yet uh, all throughout history, through paintings, through, uh, through artwork has helped to shape, you know, for good and for bad, uh, biblical and unbiblical views of heaven and hell. Yeah. You know, you think of even just like heaven and angels and like the cute little baby cherubs floating on a, yeah. on a cloud with, you know, little bows and arrows and wings on their back, you know, and all that. Yeah. And that's kind of this modern conception of, of, of angels and what heaven is like. And then you read the Bible and you're like, Actually, I think angels are more like warriors. Yeah. They're <laughs> soldiers doing God's bidding. They come, they're messengers and announcement. Yeah, people are falling on their faces before them. They're afraid. Yeah, yeah. Like an angel shows up and the first words out of their mouth is always like, do not be afraid. Yeah. You know, I bring you good news, you know, because they're terrified. Yeah. And, you know, now we have like, oh, angels showed up and people get all excited. It's like, I don't know that, like in the Bible, that's not really, uh, but, but Anyways, yeah. <laughs> same is true of hell. Also, we had this spectrum too of this like terrifying, you know, uh, frightening place with this big red beast creature with like bull horns and all that. The pitchfork. Then the pitchfork, <laughs> all the way down to these like really kind of minimalized, like you know, kind of playful little you know devil type creature or whatever yeah. that. You know, we, if we're being real honest, we might want to be friends or have that thing as a pet or something like that. <laughs> and and we just have to be so careful of letting that, you know, influence our understanding of the afterlife because it's pretty serious. Mm-hmm. Like as we just kind of dial that back through the lens of the gospel and as we come to the Bible and we begin to see Jesus teaching on this, like this isn't really something just to kind of play around with or let media or cartoons influence our understanding of these things. No, it's a it's a warning. Yeah, yeah, constantly. Right. It's, it's it's a warning, and and it brings and you know, as even through Jesus' teaching, as we'll see here in a minute, it, it really has brings us. It's meant to bring us to a decision. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, what am I going to do with the truths of who Christ is and the reality of my sin? Because this doesn't just have like in the moment consequences. But uh, but this has some consequences that we have to think about for a long time, you know, for our life after. And I think that's really, as we come back to the question, what it's getting at. And so, so let's just let's take a moment, you know, to help people kind of understand here. The, the question really is kind of part, well, what's the nature of hell? Is it eternal? Is it restorative? Or is it annihilative? Is that a word? I made it up now. Is it, Sounds you know, good enough. Yeah, yeah that's right. Is annihilationism. It, that's right. Or, it's annihilationism. And so the, the, here's, here's just kind of the uh, loose definitions of there. It's like, is this, is hell like eternal and forever for those that go there? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and the descriptions that we'll see here in a minute, do those last forever? Or second, is it restorative, meaning like this is like a holding tank? 
Like you go there and you do your time, so to speak, like in jail, but then you are, you know, released back into society. Or in this case, then you are, uh, you do your time, you pay for the consequences of your sin, you atone for them yourself, and then you go meet with the Lord and get to spend the rest of eternity you know, in heaven with yeah. with the Lord. It's like boot camp. Yeah, or something. I mean, yeah, prison, I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, oftentimes people refer to that as purgatory, just yeah. teaching in that. Or finally, is it uh, is the teaching of annihilationism, is that you go there for some length of time, you know, and that's, you know, whether that's because of the severity of your sin or up to the, you know, the, the warden of hell or whatever, up to the devil or you know, whenever Jesus said the things you've done your time or something like that, but then you are uh, just like you cease to exist. Yeah. Your soul, body, gone. Like they just are no more. And, uh, you know, I think that's, for some, that's maybe a, 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 you know, a comfort. You know, like, okay, well, I can do anything for a while, so I'll live how I want and then go, but... Uh, maybe we're tipping our hand there. So that's kind of those are the three kind of pr- predominant views out there about hell. But let's come and see what the view of the Bible is, shall we? Yeah, I was gonna say too. Even with kind of this purgatory, restorative, mm-hmm. there's there's even kind of two camps in that. Without getting too deep into it, you have you get into kind of this universalist yeah. mindset of you know eventually you know everybody goes. To right. heaven, it's right. like you, you you do your time, and then you're you're finally seen as you know clean enough or restored sure. enough to right. Yeah, because well, what you're getting at there too is yes, there's a sense of that in the restorative, but also in the universalist viewpoint, they would actually deny the existence of hell. So, in this, the question being asked is assuming that hell does exist. Yeah, you know, which as we come to the Bible, like you. you like hell exists, you know, so we can kind of just toss out the universalist thing. But in that, it's like, well, it doesn't exist, and actually, in the end, it all, we all just yeah. win, and God uh, has uh, saved us all, and we all just go to heaven, regardless of the life that we lived yeah. on earth now and what we did with Jesus and all that. Like, He's just a big God, and He wants us all with Him, and you know, we're all God's children, right? Yeah, and uh, yeah. and so He's going to uh, to uh, just uh, bring us all with Him, and yet. As we come to it, it's like, mm, no, not quite. <laughs> Hell is indeed real. And so let's come to the Bible now because that's our authority, right? Amen. The Bible is our authority. And let's just hone in on the Gospel of Matthew. And so if you're listening to this now and you're driving, uh, we're going to try to just give the reference markers. If you're listening to this um, and, uh, and able to have your Bible open, then just track with us. As, uh, as we go, I'll try to read the verses as we go. So if you're listening, you can see this, but I uh, would encourage you just to go back and, and find these, uh, these verses. And so Matthew has quite a bit of uh, Jesus' teaching on the existence of hell. And so right uh, out the gate in Matthew chapter 5, as Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, right after those, uh, you know, those blessed verses, commonly known as the Beatitudes, he then begins to deal with certain sins, one of which is uh, the sin of lust and committing adultery. And so he takes this uh, another step further 
in this uh, in con- confronting adultery. He's like, you know, adultery is wrong, but I'm telling you, if uh, if a man, he says, this is uh, verse 28 of Matthew chapter five. He says, I say to you that everyone who even looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than for than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you should lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. And so right from the beginning here, as Jesus is, is uh, coming and teaching us, what does he uh, show us? That, well, hell is real. <laughs> you know, this is why we just, like I said, out the gate, we can throw out uh, uh, universalism and all that, and even in the nature of the question here, is we just kind of take in Jesus' teaching and to answer, is it eternal, restorative, or annihilative here we just come to grips with it's real and it's also a consequence for sin that's right so those who choose to live their life in sin what jesus is not if you're unfamiliar with these verses what jesus is not advocating here is actual physical amputation (laughs) that's right but he is uh, uh, speaking to a radical amputation about sin because if we persist in this, it is showing something uh, uh, unregenerate about our heart that really needs to be cut out. Yep. We need to be right with the Lord in these things um, because he's like, it's, it's better you to go to heaven with, uh, you know, with, without an arm and without, you know, <laughs> with a, walking with a limp humbly before the Lord than to be full-bodied and, and uh, go to hell. And so he'll come back to this also in, in uh, chapter 18 and teaching the same principle of radical amputation uh, against sin. But really, the, as we get here, it, it should startle us here that sin is real, and, or hell is real, and it is a consequence for sin. Okay? Okay. So, so we start there, and just as we move through Matthew, he begins to also then teach on these things. As you come to chapter 8, he is uh, he's confronted by a centurion, a you know, uh, uh, an official, uh, uh, a soldier here who is uh, uh, has a servant, and his servant is lying paralyzed at home. He's suffering terribly. This is uh, Matthew 8, beginning in verse 5, all the way through uh, verse 13 here. And so Jesus goes through. He has this whole discussion about authority and all this. The centurion saying, Jesus, come. And he's saying, no. And, uh, and like, I'm busy. And Jesus like, no, you have the authority. You come. And here's, here's what's very interesting. Verse 10, Jesus heard this. He marveled, and he said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Now that's pretty, that's, that's actually itself pretty startling. That's a whole yeah. other uh, thing here, because the centurion's a Roman soldier. He's, he's now coming to Israel. Those who are the stewards of the Old Testament know these things, should know that he is the Messiah. And he's like, this guy has true, genuine faith. Yeah. He knows who I am. He knows where authority is is because as he continues on he says i tell you many will come from east and west and recline at table with abram isaac and jacob in the kingdom of heaven an expansion here like there are many who will be coming to uh, who god will be saving and bringing to himself while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth <laughs> like oh dang yeah and so here he's getting at, like, the, those who will be in heaven, 
and with the Lord is going to be vast and diverse and maybe not who we think is going to be there. And those of amongst Israel, though they're God's chosen people, not all of them are truly saved and will be with the Lord for eternity, but will actually be thrown into this outer darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And mm, so yeah. what do we glean from this? Well, hell is also dark. Yeah. The outer darkness, the you know darkness as the opposite of light, God being the source of light, darkness you know uh, symbolizing uh, that which is separate from the Lord, that right. which where yeah. the Lord is not. And so it's real, it's dark, and this idea of weeping and gnashing of teeth is it's full of sorrow and anger and anguish, you know, this weeping like, those that are there are in this constant sorrow and this, you know, like when you grit your teeth because you're super angry or in super or just in a ton of pain, you know, um, that like if you've ever had a massive injury, um, and just been in a ton of pain or you've been so angry as bowling over and you're just grinding your teeth, that's what he's getting at here. And so it's real. It's a consequence for sin and it's dark and full of sorrow now, he continues it on also. He'll teach again in Matthew chapter 10, just going on, telling them to have no fear. Um, as he uh, comes to uh, the disciples there, it's Matthew 10, beginning in verse 26. Um, he's, uh, uh, he's teaching his disciples how to live courageously, how to live brave, that they need not fear, um, that they can uh, walk in the light and have no fear of those who... Uh, you know, who will persecute them, those who do not follow Christ. And this is what he, what he, what he says uh, in verse 27. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Which is pretty cool, right? Like, <laughs> proclaim the good news of Jesus, right? It says, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body and in hell. And there's the there's a word, right? Mm-hmm. Are you not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Mm. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Mm-hmm. And so here Jesus is teaching, it's, it's destructive. It's a place to be feared. It's the opposite of heaven, where in heaven, that's the place of restoration. Heaven is the place of glorification. Right. Heaven is the place where there's no more weeping, you know, as Revelation will say, where there's no more, uh, where there's no more sorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, but rather, hell is this place of separation. Now, yeah. here's where someone could come and say, well, he kills body and soul. Does that mean that there's a a limit to it but the idea here i think not so much that uh that the that our soul is snuffed out and ceases to exist Mm -hmm. but is in a place of destruction of deterioration the opposite of what god does right um and so you know I think we would take it too far to say that this has a time like okay well something is going to go and not you know exist but in god's scope of eternity this is a place not of getting better but actually of getting worse right it's a place to be avoided 
fear this place. You know, this is the place that we should be scared of. Yeah. I think even just as we think about the the scope of this and is there an end, then would that mean that there would be an end to eternity in heaven as well? Sure. Because if we believe in eternity for our souls and it's, you know, can you have it one place without the other? And so just understanding sure. how we've been created, the, the nature of our souls, right. and, and what that implication would mean in right. all aspects. Which is really what it's getting at in that, not a, like, fear the one who created your body and soul. Yeah. Like, this is the one who holds all of that. You know, a, a human being can come along and, and, and take out your body, yeah. a body that God has created, you know, but they cannot destroy your soul yeah because god has created it and so you know as we just kind of take jesus teaching here and say it's real it's a consequence for sin it's a place of darkness of sorrow and anger and anguish and uh and and it's a place of destruction yeah as you can move to chapter 13 then as jesus is describing a parable a parable of weeds we also learn that it's fiery right as he's as he's talking about uh, he's he's in chapter 13 jesus starts to speak in these parables the uh, uh jewish leaders of that day have rejected him up until this point and so now in uh uh really from chapter like 12 on in matthew jesus uh can, will uh, uh start to speak in parables bailing this truth and and you know to be only be understood by those who do believe and he he starts to, he's explaining this uh, this parable, and he answers them. This is verse 37 of Matthew 13. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. And just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Hmm. And so not only is it a place of darkness, meaning separation from the Lord, it's a fiery furnace. Where, there's, uh, where it's, again, this weeping and gnashing of teeth, this great anguish and pain and anger because of the separation and the torment that exists there. And so it's real, it's dark, it's a consequence for sin, it's fiery. But there's also this, uh, uh, he, he'll continue on later into Matthew and has this uh, uh, repeated theme in both chapter 23 and in 25 yeah. about who is thrown there, this place of outer darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth. In chapter 23, he's pronouncing woe over the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. And then in, in a chapter 25, it's the, the servants who've been entrusted with these talents. And the one with one talent is is it's taken away. His talent is taken away, and then he is actually thrown into the uh, fiery furnace. He's thrown there into this outer darkness in that place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so you have this common theme of weeping and gnashing of teeth that describes uh, where they are. And and here's the thing: like there's maybe going to be unexpected people <laughs> there. Mm -hmm. 
the Pharisees, those religious elites that look so uh, outwardly religious are actually inwardly rebellious and be there. And those here who've been given uh, some talents who don't use them are showing, and they had maybe some natural talents, but uh, spiritually, inwardly, or unregenerate, that is born out of then the faithfulness of, of how they use these these gifts. And so uh, it's just a, it's a startling kind of way that Matthew ends here of like, oh, this place is real, where it begins his teaching in Matthew 5, and now as he gets to the end for the Jewish hearers of that day, especially it's kind of like, oh, like it's real, this is what it's like, and those who will be there maybe are ones that we wouldn't initially expect, especially in that pharisaical system of following all these rules and laws and extra rules and laws from outside the That's Bible right. to be there. Yeah, And then when they do get there, yeah. it ain't good. You know, it's right. It, it's painting a pretty graphic, um, right. you know, just picture of yeah. what to expect. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so that's 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 pretty startling, you know. And as we start, like, okay, the consequences for sin, James picks up on this in James 3 as he's talking about our tongue and getting this under control because how we, you know, how we respond to our unholiness or our sin shows then what's the true nature of our heart. Are we regenerate or are we not, you know? And and that then as we think forward, okay, well, I'm regenerate. Well, then I have the hope of heaven. I have the power to, you know, to say no to sin. But if not, and I don't care about my sin, then what does that say about where I stand now and where I'm headed, you know, after I die? Yeah, even as we think about what defiles a man is what comes out of us. And so, again, exposing the heart, it's the fruit. Is it, are we producing good fruit? Are we producing bad fruit? And what does that tell us about our heart condition? And are we trusting that Christ is who he is? says he is that's right and so so that's that's just kind of a it's not an exhaustive study but just really an overview of those passages particularly in matthew that are helping us come back to answer this question right? like that's what we're trying to get at here is hell based on what the bible is teaching is it eternal punishment is it uh, restorative uh, from you know the consequences of our sin, or is it just annihilation? So we're kind of getting a picture here of what Jesus is teaching about this. But I want to come back to just one final passage, and then I think we can come to a conclusion of this as we consider what the Bible says. But I want us to come to now Luke 16, a passage that maybe uh, you're familiar with uh, if you've read your Bible, but that passage about the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, Jesus tells, uh, and I, I want to read it. It's not super long, but it's in Luke 16, beginning in verse 19. Luke 16, 19. And here's the parable, and, and you'll see why this is significant to our understanding and answering the question that's been submitted. It says this, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously. That's a good word, right? <laughs> we should use that more often. Sumptuously. Feasted sumptuously. Every day, at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, and desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abram's side. Okay, now Abraham's side—that's a, a, a euphemism. You maybe have heard it, like the old school term, Abram's bosom, and uh, you know, for for heaven. 
right, where Abram was with uh, next to the Lord, and so a place of solace and consolation there next to the Lord. Okay, so the poor man dies, carried by the angels to Abram's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, another reference to hell, uh, mm-hmm. the, you know, the lower regions, the underworld, if you will, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abram far off and Lazarus at his side, which is kind of you know interesting. Like Jesus tells the story, and it's like as if he can now see uh, he's in torment and he can see the glory of heaven. You know, mm-hmm. they have this like window into uh, the other apparently. Verse 24, and he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. Hmm. You know, a picture of what we've seen from Jesus teaching, the torment, the flame. But let me also just point out the arrogance of the rich man to one, <laughs> you know, call out to heaven to send this man from heaven this like the poor man here that as if he is his servant Mm. no seeming repentance no like all the fire all the torment has not actually humbled his soul one iota send that man now to come and cool me to serve me in this way But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. He said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. They're uh, highlighting the sufficiency of Scripture, right? Yeah. Uh, even the Old Testament to point us to salvation in the Lord. And so uh, it's a pretty, pretty startling uh, description here, pretty startling teaching of Jesus. But what this brings us to, I think, here is this the perpetual arrogance that this is not restorative, you know? Hmm. And it's not like some place to get it act like he's not... You know, uh, his behavior is not being, uh, uh, you know, made any better. Yeah, you know, he's not a. I'm, uh, there's a word on the tip of my tongue that I can't uh, that that I can't recall now, but uh, or he's not being reformed. He's not, you know, like uh, prison isn't, uh, you know, turning him around or anything like that. It's actually he's still remaining in the arrogance of it, and he's fixed there. There's yeah. a great chasm fixed that they cannot pass back and forth. Yeah, I think just in this passage, we're seeing the the hardness of heart. Yeah. That if like, there's nothing more that's going to to change the heart, if you see, you know, the destruction of of hell, if you see the 
the fiery furnace and you you experience the gnashing of teeth. Uh, Jesus is saying even that's not going to right. change the heart if God's word hasn't already. Right. It's right. It, it, you know this this is a different topic, but it's but it, it's right here in the text of the you know so many look for signs and wonders. Like if we just have this, like send me a sign, give me a wonder, like show me something miraculous then we'll actually believe. It's like, no, that's just, you're just looking for like some sort of cheap trick to like, you know, wow you for a moment. Yeah. But real genuine faith is uh, grappling with the truths of the scripture, our own sinfulness, the truth of who Jesus is, and, uh, and trusting that God is who he says he is and has done who he says he, and done what he said he has done and yeah. will save those who uh, trust in him. And so none of that is going to work or matter. Like, trust the word of God. And uh, and that'll um, that'll be sufficient. But there's another one. So that's the I know I said that's kind of like a, a big one here. But really, if this is the story that illustrates it, Paul picks back up on this in Second Thessalonians and just kind of brings the you know brings it all together, right? Yeah. And so speaking of the end and the the judgment of God. Um, and uh, the, really the, the hope for the believer of Christ's return, he says this. This is Second Thessalonians chapter 1. And uh, I'll just read the context of it because it's, it's actually pretty good. He's talking about suffering and you know, hope and suffering and how the end is, is, uh, is our hope. But beginning in verse 5, this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Okay. So that's what, when we're talking about it, like, God is righteous in this. He's not, like, fickle. He's not, you know, he can't be bought off with a bribe or anything like that. But this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So speaking to the end and the return of Christ, which will be pretty awesome, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They, so those who disobey, right? Those who disobey the gospel, disobey God, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. There you go. Same thing, reiterating Jesus' words. It's a place of destruction, and it's eternal or forever, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And then if we keep reading, he goes on to all the, th the great things for uh, you know, those who believe in the glory that will be revealed to his saints. But right. uh, as it comes to our question here, I think this speaks to it. You know, it is not, it is not annihilation. There is an eternal aspect to this and always and forever. And it is not restorative. It is not, to, you know, doing your time in, in, you know, to atone from your sin and then you will be with the Lord. As we come to the question as it's asked, it seems that the case that the Bible makes, the teaching of Christ, and now the consolidation of that teaching here from Paul in Second uh, Thessalonians, and as you know, we didn't even get to Revelation and <laughs> describing you know what uh, what's yeah. there in Revelation, nor even going into our Old Testament, but just sticking here with Jesus, is this is eternal, and it is torment. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's uh, it, it's serious. It's painful, um, 
And, you know, I think as we you know, bring that to even, you know, a question here, I don't know why somebody submitted it or whatever, but, um, but as we've seen in our day, like we don't like consequences for sin. Everything in our world is designed to mitigate consequences. That's right. From, you know, medical advancements to scientific advancements, all these things, it's really to try to mitigate or diminish the consequences that we have for foolish decisions that we make or sin that we want to engage in. And, uh, and so that's just in the moment by moment. So, of course, there's like a, either an outright denial or a mitigation or a diminishment of the eternal component of our life and the consequences that uh, um, come from a life apart from Christ. Yeah. And so even in Christian circles, the, 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 there's the attempt to do it. It's like, well, it's not that bad. You know? And there's just been different iterations of this all throughout church history. You know? And so whatever, what exists in our day is no different than what's been along the way. Um, but we, we just can't get past the reality of what Jesus is teaching here. For sure, and I think just in light of that too, just recognizing that this has been the tradition in the you know, Christian Church for since the beginning for you know two thousand plus years, and so as you know, our our fathers in the faith, you know, have studied and worked on these things, and in their time have come to you know these conclusions through the scriptures, allowing scripture to be this authority. It's like why now yeah you know are we attempting to come up with something new and different i think you you touched on that in the fact that right. um you know, we don't like consequences and the you know the softer we become and the more relative we become it's right. just like oh well we can just kind of right make these things up to make us feel better to make us feel more sure comfortable um, right. rather than drawing to the Lord and, and walking in obedience. Right, and we could attempt to extract all the reasons why even Christians would diminish this, you know, yeah. like, well, if we diminish the reality and the torment of hell, then that kind of eases our conscience so we don't have to evangelize with the same type of passion and fervor and, yeah. you know, kind of, uh, there's all sorts of reasons we yeah. could we could talk out, but the reality, and as we get to the question, is that it's here, and it's real, and it's, and it's no bueno. Yeah. And... And so we have to reckon with that. And yet, uh, even as we reckon with that, we don't have to be scared of it, nor just wield it as a big stick yep. to like bash people and like scare them like, and like, do you know how bad it is? Like you better, uh, at the same time, we, we can recognize it, acknowledge it, weep and uh, over the, the torment of it. And that, the, that makes heaven all the better. That's right. Yeah. That makes the the glory of Christ and being in His presence forever that much more delightful. We can expect it with greater delight and hope because it, to the same degree that hell is torment and eternal separation, heaven. It is is eternal glory and satisfaction unlike anything right. we could ever imagine. Amen. 
to the greatest of days that we have, the sweetest of fellowship, the most, uh, you know, transformative of worship that we've had. Like, it, all of that pales in comparison to what heaven will be like. And, and our tiny little brains, our feeble little hearts can't even fathom that. Yeah. We, we, we man, like, heaven is so awesome. And the fact that Christ would come near to offer it to us, to show us this, is extraordinary grace. Hmm. Extraordinary grace. And the fact that he warned us about hell is, is, is his grace itself. That's right. You know, so that, like, we don't have to be surprised. <laughs> you yeah. know? He, he's showing us what awaits us uh, when we follow him or when we reject him. And so that would bring us, you know, as we just reckon with these things, why would we choose anything different? Let us choose the joy-filled, delightful life in Christ Jesus by turning from our sin, the sin, you know, and the pathway to the destruction that we just looked, and turn towards Christ in the way of life that he has called us to live that ends in eternal uh, connection, intimacy, and in his presence forever. Like, that's good news. That's what we want, right? Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today on this new season of Consider It, Ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas. We welcome your questions regarding life theology in the church. You can submit these questions by texting the word redemption and your question to 830-299-7505. To learn more about redemption, visit us online at redemption.bible. Thank you for listening. Our aim each episode is to be truthful and helpful to the glory of God. Join us next time on Consider It.